0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
1: This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. All new starships in a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shenzhou for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships.
0: This episode is also sponsored by Mac Weldon. Quality essentials for men. Take 20% off your first order at macweldon.com when you enter the promo code Mission Log at checkout.
2: Mission Log A Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, Episode 301 Paradise.
0: Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray.
1: Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, examining it for morals, meanings, and messages, and asking ourselves if it stands the test of time.
0: This week, paradise.
1: Yeah, yeah, this week, paradise, because last week was almost Paradise. Yes When we were looking on Heaven's Door Uh, Right, yeah 80s song reference Check John's got
0: trivia coming up in just a moment But first But first, a word from Eagle Moss, the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. No room for full-size starships in your collection? Well, let Eagle Moss help you out with a collection of smaller ships that will fit conveniently on your desk or shelves.
1: And they are fantastic ships. Officially authorized by CBS Studios, made from quality solid materials, die-cast metal and ABS materials... Based on the CG models used in the production of Star Trek Discovery, which is what you should base your Discovery starships on. I'm glad they went that direction. Yeah, was really good. I yeah. too. I hear yeah. they were just thinking about closing their eyes and saying, I think it looked like this. Mm-hmm. But no, then they decided we're going to take that extra step. We're going to base it on the actual things that they used <laughs> to make the show.
0: Well, that's what you get to do when you have an expert like Ben Robinson on staff making sure that all those details are covered. Now, we're talking about those details in big ships. The USS Shenzhou NCC-1227 is nearly eight inches from front to back. Of course, it comes with that display base, and it comes with a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology used on board.
1: Now, the first ship in the collection is the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227. It's available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships.
0: Additional models will come to you every month, including the Discovery, the Europa, the Vulcan Cruiser in the Soulcar class, that new Klingon Bird of Prey, and so much more. New ships arrive monthly at the exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, also with free shipping.
1: Subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over $100, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. Full details can be found at eaglemoss.com discovery starships. Now, if subscribing isn't your thing, if you'd rather pick and choose your individual ships, you can do that, too. The place online to do that is shop.eaglemoss.com. You can also drop in on your local comic book shop. You'll be paying the regular price, both those places. That will
0: run you about 55 bucks. But again, to subscribe, eaglemoss.com. Slash Discovery Starships. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show.
1: You know, I swear you could see forever from the bridge of one of those ships, John.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Just, just <laughs> got that song in my head now, and I feel like yeah, everybody yeah. else should too. Hey, yeah, John's got trivia coming go. up in just a moment. No problem, man. I am here for you for my enjoyment. <laughs> Sean's got trivia coming up in just a moment, as I said, but I'm first going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast dot And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
0: Or maybe if they just called and recorded like uh, their best Mike Reno and Ann Wilson impression, that might make it into a future episode of Mission Log. You don't know.
1: Is that is that who did that song? Yeah, I don't yeah. even know, man. It was uh, you, you. You know, it's hysterical. Honestly, uh. it what's that? That song was featured all summer long in like uh, in The Guiding Light. What, it was no, when it was no, when Philip stop. and Beth were like uh, sort of getting together finally because we all knew they wow. were going to eventually and then they did and it was that song wall to wall. That's what I remember. Yeah, I know. Oh, man. Really bringing wow. us all the way back to the very first episode of Mission Log, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, when we brought the Zazz.
0: Anyway, it, it was it was a lover boy and a heart crossover we were waiting for. Was it And really? now you just crossed it over to Guiding Light. Yeah,
1: I, had, I really had no idea that that was the case. I mean, I only knew that in their arms salvation. Will you please do trivia?
0: <laughs> trivia for this week's episode paradise the story credits go to jim trombetta and james crocker we most recently talked about jim's story contributions on the alternate and james's most recent for us was melora for which he got the teleplay credit so the teleplay credit for this episode goes to jeff king richard manning and hans Baimler. Jeff King is a new name to us. He's got a lot of genre credits as a writer and producer, and in fact, he worked as a comic book writer, too. He's had a hand in The Black Donnellys, Total Recall 2070, Stargate SG-1, and more. This is his only Trek credit. Now, incidentally, while they were filming this episode, Richard and Hans were asked to join the writing staff, but they both declined. Hans joined the staff during the next season, though, as a producer. Today's episode is directed by Corey Allen. Uh, Remember that we most recently covered his DS9 episode, The Circle, and of course he got his Trek start way back with the TNG pilot, Encounter at Farpoint. Hey, locations. A good amount of the location filming was done at Griffith Park, right in the middle of L.A., serving here as a mostly uninhabited planet. And Ken, you know that I like my ship names, so let's talk about those. We have a mention here of the Crockett. Now, I know what you're thinking. It could be Sonny Crockett from Miami Vice, uh, but we'll actually go with Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. That is, in fact, who that ship was named after. We also have the Santa Maria, uh, of course, literally translate to uh, St. Mary, built in 1460. That was the name of Christopher Columbus's largest of his three ships that he used to sail to the New World. Now, the registry number of that ship, we see it in a couple of places on set, is uh, BDR-529. That, of course, well, if I'm pointing it out, it has to be an in-joke. Ken, you're never going to believe what that is a reference to.
1: I do not know what that is a reference to.
0: That is the license plate on the car from the Blues Brothers. Okay. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Well, because they're Blues Brothers fans. Why why wouldn't you do that if you're All a right. Blues Brothers fan? But,
1: yeah, that's that's fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Guest stars. Julia Nixon plays Cassandra, and we have actually seen her before on the bridge of the Enterprise D. She plays Ensign Sue in the Arsenal of Freedom during that show's first season. She was married to David Soul, who, of course, was Hutch on Starsky and Hutch, but he was also one of the feeders of Val in TOS on the Apple Julia appeared in the miniseries Around the World in 80 Days. She had a recurring role on Babylon 5, and she also works as a voice actor. Joseph is played by Steve Vinovich. Steve got his start in the early 70s in small roles. You can even catch him in The Mechanic with Charles Bronson. A ton of the usual and unusual TV guest roles fill out his resume, but you'll also find Steve in feature roles in movies like The Santa Claus and even Mannequin, with future Star Trek actor Kim Cattrall. And Gail Strickland plays Alexis. Shout out to my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama, where Gail grew up too. She has made a huge number of TV appearances going way back with Dark Shadows, then later with recurring roles on Melrose Place and Dr. Quinn, just to name a couple. She has a featured role in the Michael Douglas movie The American President, This is her only Star Trek appearance.
2: Alexis and Joseph want to take Ben and Miles through a wasteland they like to call their home. Welcome to paradise.
1: Prologue. Cisco and O'Brien are surveying star systems near the wormhole for potential colony spots. Also, the commander has a favor to ask of his underling. Please tutor my son, Jake, and what it would take to be a Starfleet engineer. Benjamin says Jake shows very little aptitude for it. O'Brien says neither did he. It wasn't until he was literally under enemy fire that he found his engineering chops. He'll be happy to help Jake. As for the planet survey, hey, this one will be great. Except it's apparently already got people on it. Human people. Human people who aren't answering their hail. Maybe because of that low-level duonetic field O'Brien's picking up. Also, there's no record of human people down there. The commander and the engineer decide to check it out. Almost immediately, they meet problems. Anything electronic is dead. Maybe because of that low-level duonetic field O'Brien's picked up. That means no tricorders, no phasers and no way to get back to the runabout. Also, they found the people they were looking for, or really the people have found them. Hands up, don't move, they hear. Cisco and O'Brien comply, as we had to opening credits. Act 1. Told to turn around, Cisco and O'Brien do so, meeting Vinod, he's the guy with the bow and arrow, barking orders, and Joseph, who's happy to see a couple of guys from Starfleet. Tensions ease, and Joseph explains how they came to be here. They were on their way to another planet over ten years ago when their ship developed life-support trouble. They put down to make repairs and got ensnared in the duonetic field that stranded Cisco and O'Brien. With the runabout in orbit, Cisco says it won't take his people long to find them. Then, they can all leave. But Joseph says this is their home now. Though phasers and tricorders may not work... But the people do. He sends Benode ahead to tell his mother that they have guests. Binode's mother, Alexis, seems very pleased to have the newcomers around, as do the other inhabitants. They all have questions, and Ben and Miles will be happy to answer them. Miles is in a hurry to figure out what's going on with all their electronics. Alexis says they gave up on that forever ago. It's probably all the acetin deposits on the planet. Anyway, they've done well for themselves without modern technology. They plow the lands, grow food, weave clothes, build walls for protection. One of the inhabitants, Cassandra, asks if they'll all leave when people come to rescue Ben and Miles. Alexa says that's something they all have to decide for themselves. Though so she'll never leave. And she'll never want what they have here to change. It means too much to her but she's happy to share what they have with the newcomers, as long as they're there. Alexis does have to let them know, though. As long as they are there, they'll have to pitch in. They'll be surprised how much better their food tastes when they have to work for it. As Joseph shows Ben and Miles to their bunks, Alexis tells her son Vinod that two more healthy men could mean a lot to their community. Act 2 On DS9, Kira and Dax are talking over the unexpected arrival of Admiral Mitsuya. He's not there yet, but he's on his way. He says he wants to talk over Cardassian foreign policy, though Dax says what he really wants is to get Ben Sisko at the poker table. They better call Ben and get him back, but... Well, that's odd. No response from the Rio Grande, the runabout Sisko and O'Brien were using. Back in the Lost Community, Sisko's been reading some of the writings of Elixis. She's left her books in both of their quarters. While Miles hasn't read them, Sisko says she seems to have an opinion about everything, all with a common theme, that people have grown fat and lazy and dull. The common conceit that the human species has evolved over the last several centuries is ludicrous, she writes. What gains we have made have come at the cost of our own core identities, Man has lost touch with his true power. Miles says it sounds like it took a crash landing for her to find her paradise. As for how his work's going, he's basically got nothing to work with. Oh, ideas, sure, but the community seems to have thrown away all of the old tech it had. Joseph joins the conversation with a big, Yep! Alexis thought that having old stuff around would serve as a constant reminder of what they could no longer have, so... Away it went. That was tough for Joseph. He had been their ship's engineer. But he realized Alexis was right. She was teaching them a new philosophy, which they needed to survive. And it's been great. They've got a renewed sense of community that man lost centuries ago. Now, if you'll excuse the engineer, he has to try to heal an ailing member of the community with moss and herbs. It's Meg. Looks like she'll be the fourth victim of an insect that's killed, well, three other members of the community. Cisco and O'Brien want to redouble their efforts to get back to the runabout. They could use its med kit to heal Meg. But Elixis says it would be a waste of time. Miles has some real ideas about how to make it happen, which is when Elixis asks to speak to Ben privately. Basically, she wants him to knock it off with all the technology talk. And talk of the rescue party he's expecting. And lose the uniform. It gets hot in the fields. Act 3. DS9 has gotten a weird bit of news. A Romulan ship has spotted the runabout Rio Grande, traveling at Warp 2 with no one on board. Kira and Dax will fly an intercept course to check it out. Back at the community, Ben's working in the fields, in his uniform, along with Miles. It's there that they see one of the community members pulled from a crate that's been baking in the sun. It's punishment for having stolen a candle. He's weak, he's thirsty, and Ben is not impressed. Alexis says at least he'll never steal again, and neither will anyone else who's seen how he came out. Quietly, Cisco orders O'Brien to seriously get to work finding a way off this planet. That night, Cassandra comes to Ben's quarters. She hits on him. Hard. And Ben realizes she's been sent there by Alexis. So he goes to confront her. He says he finds Alexis contemptible for using Cassandra that way. Also, he's starting to put a few things together. Like the fact that she brought printed books of her own ideas while everyone else had info on pads. Her son Vinod was never allowed to eat replicated food, something Cisco heard from the young man while he was working the fields. Weird that with that disdain for technology, you just happen to crash on a planet where technology doesn't work. Yeah, right? Says Alexis. I've actually been writing about how maybe there's some kind of divine providence that makes things like that happen. Ben sees her setting herself up as a messiah, though there's no more time to talk about that Alexis has decided that Ben will be standing watch tonight. Act 4. Cisco is stumbling tired from standing watch all night after a day in the fields. He and Miles talk briefly about his work on the duanetic field mystery. Bottom line, it's still a mystery. Though, he's not buying the Astitson deposit explanation. Alexis has some good news. Meg appears to be getting better. The right combination of herbs and spices are something. Oh, Ben, will you be able to pull your usual shift in the field today? Miles starts to protest, but it's really not a question. Ben says he'll do it. Alexis is glad to hear that, though she thinks he'd probably be more comfortable in clothes besides his uniform. In space, Dax and Kira are trying to catch the Rio Grande. It's risky, but they do it. Now they'll be able to investigate what happened to the Rio Grande on the Rio Grande. Back in the community, bad news from Alexis. Meg is dead. Meg was so proud of the community and what it had done, which makes the other bad news she has even worse. Miles spent time he should have been spending working for the community, trying to figure out a way off the planet. Joseph says Miles was probably just trying to get the medical supplies that could have saved Meg. And that proves what Alexis has feared, that Ben and Miles are a harmful influence on the community. Look what's become of Joseph, defending ways he knows to be wrong. But here's the thing. Ben is Miles' commanding officer. She holds the commander responsible and orders him into the crate in the field. Act 5. Dax and Kira have found something missing from the Rio Grande. It's records. They've been erased. But it looks like somebody tried to destroy it by flying it into a star. That didn't quite work, though. And now Dax thinks she can tell which star it was. The one around which the community's planet orbits. So they'll head that way. Back in the community, Ben's out of the box. Tired. Thirsty. Hobbling. Alexis says she would love to let him rest, give him food and water, but she can't do that. Not until he gives in. Instead, he goes in. Back into the crate, of his own volition. He will not break. Miles has had enough. He thinks he knows a way he can track down whatever's generating the duonetic field. He asks Joseph to help him. No? No? Well, then he asks Joseph to look the other way while he leaves. No? Well, then he asks Joseph to look down at the ground while Miles knocks Joseph out by hitting him on the head. Don't worry, Joseph knew it was coming, and he'll be fine. In the woods, Miles is following a weird sort of duonetic field-generating detector he's built from rocks and water and a gourd. And he's found it. A buried bit of technology that is working, apparently to keep the rest of the tech from not working. What the gourd doesn't detect is Vinode chasing Miles with his bow and arrow. A bit of skill, though, and a bit of luck as well, and Miles is able to trick, then overpower Vinode. Bringing the young man bound back to the compound, Miles uses his phaser to free Sisko from the crate. Yeah, that duenetic field. It was created by a machine, hidden and maintained by Elixis. She says Ben can stop calling for the Rio Grande. It's no longer in orbit. Then she... Well, confesses isn't quite the right word. She admits proudly that she sabotaged their ship near this planet. They were always on their way here. Uninhabited, out of the way. The perfect spot for their ideal community. Cassandra accuses Alexis of lying. Well, duh, but look at the truths it uncovered. Cassandra would have been a clerk her whole life, Joseph a repairman, and that guy who stole the candle, he'd probably be in prison by now. By stranding them all here, Alexis showed them, proved to them who and what they could be. What of the dead? asks Sisko. He says she'll have to account for what she's done, and Elixis says she's ready to go with them. Right in time for Kira to call. Sisko says he's alright, and to prepare for multiple beam-ups. But Joseph, apparently speaking for all of them now, says they're not going anywhere. It's not the home that they had been looking for, but it's home. Whatever Elixis may be guilty of, she did give us our community. He's not sure whether they'll leave the duenetic field on or establish contact with others. But they'll be staying. It's time for those of us who don't belong here to leave, Ben, says Alexis. And with that, Ben, Miles, Alexis, and Vinod beam away. Behind them, members of the community head back to their quarters. Though a couple of kids linger, staring at the crate... The end.
0: You know, it's great that uh, that they're out there, uh, uh, Cisco and O'Brien. They're looking for more places to establish colonies. Mm-hmm. And maybe I thought they could uh, get in touch with their old friends, the screens see how they're doing. <laughs> maybe. They might need a new planet. Yeah. You know? Or they could just check their
1: notes from when they were looking for suitable planets for the screens Because I thought about mm-hmm. them, too. It's like, yeah, we're out here looking for planets because I... Uh, Well, I threw away the list I made for the screens, (laughs) apparently, and uh, hopefully this will mean I will never forget. Oh, I lied to Miles. I told him it was better if we come out here because, you know, that's the best way to lead is to lie.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, I I, I thought uh, this might be a thing that Starfleet looks into. If you detect a thing that disables electronics. Mm -hmm maybe you should send a probe before beaming down there to check it out with your electronics.
1: Well, they didn't know that it disabled electronics before they went down. All they knew is they weren't receiving a response to their hail.
0: It, but they said it could, it could be this duonetic field thing that's messing with our communications. I was going to say, if, if, if there's a chance that you can't communicate the closer you get to the thing. Yeah. Back off from the thing. You
1: know, what's really interesting to me actually um, like, okay, so what do we know about the people down there? The only thing we know is that they're human, but how do we know they're human, not just humanoid? And then they decide to be down there. How do they know they're not violating the prime directive at that point? Sure. I mean, except they apparently do know it's human, but they're not reading any technology. But it's kind of weird because there is actually a whole ship down there. You'd think they would have been Mm -hmm. able to say maybe they could have just included that part. Like, well, we're not getting anything, but there is a spaceship on the planet. So I think we're (laughs) okay to go.
0: Might have something to do with something. We don't know. Hey, uh, do you prefer tricorder or tricorder?
1: Yeah, I I prefer tri Well, now I can't even think of how to say it properly. Yes, yes. Uh, the way the way <laughs> Joseph said it was wrong.
0: Yeah, I thought for a moment that the actor might have been uh, English or 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 just you know from some country uh, <laughs> other than the U.S. Yeah, and I thought that just might be a bit of accent slipping through. Mm. Uh, but but no, he's uh, he's from Illinois. So just a uh,
1: weird read, but the rest of the scene went so well. They're like, yeah, well yeah just keep
0: it yeah yeah Yeah. hey uh fat lazy and dull and then miles says something along the lines of my wife said that about me last week (laughs) oh oh, does the fun ever start yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
1: keiko o'brien ladies and gentlemen keiko o'brien
0: um and you mentioned the line about uh how Vinod uh says his mother would never let me eat replicated food. I wonder if that's an attitude shared by others in the 24th century. I mean we we kind of take for granted that replicators are everywhere, but but has it really been a a political statement that that uh you know you're not going to eat replicated you're not going to let your kids eat replicated food just every now and then somebody will make an offhand comment like Oh, I like the non-replicated kind, or I'm Riker, I'm going to make terrible eggs, just in the traditional way of making terrible eggs, instead of asking the replicator to do it right.
1: Or apparently, uh, Cisco's father, may he... Rest in peace, sir, cook. <laughs> I, I,
0: it just, uh, somehow I feel like he's going to be fine.
1: Okay, okay fine. <laughs> and because, uh, because apparently he was, you know, Cisco knows how to work the fields because his father used to send him out to get real vegetables so he can make real food.
0: Right. Yeah. right, Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, did you ever watch the, the uh, it was a miniseries of James Franco called 112263 about the guy could go back in time and he was there to to hopefully prevent the Kennedy assassination? I have not watched it yet. OK, fascinating little miniseries. But one of the things the the, the door to another time is basically like outside a diner. And uh, the James Franco character goes there. And this is where he learns about the secret. I'm, I'm not giving anything away. This is just the the setup of the show. But the guy in the diner tells him, like, look, you're going to spend all this time in the early 60s waiting for the Kennedy assassination to roll around. And the first thing you'll notice is that the food is great. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I thought that was such a nice little detail. This is like you're going to be living your life but but everywhere you go because it's 1960, 61, 62 and into 63 and and it's just the the food is fantastic and and actually the diner owner has been going back in time and bringing uh, Meat back with him to serve at his diner, and that's how he keeps the quality high and the price is low
1: yeah i couldn 't figure out why you were talking about that so much, and then I realized oh it's food
0: yeah, and there's not much food to talk about in here, except uh, that they grow some vegetables I'm not interested,
1: yeah, what do, so think, well. what do you think what you think miles did with the uh with the energy of that hollowed out gourd though? Well, it was probably already dry, wasn't it
0: yeah 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 that at that point at that point, it probably was yeah a uh, fun little line there I'm a science officer it's my job to have a better idea. Sounds like if Spock had been having a particularly sassy day. That's that's a great line for us. Sassy, yeah, sassy Spock.
1: Sassy Spock. I like it. Hey, um, I have a question for you, and it's sort of along the lines of like the writer thing and stuff like that. Um, is there any point to the imitation peril faced by Dax and Kira as they try to stop the other runabout? Oh, right. I mean, right. is there because basically, like, when, and we've seen this now a few times on Deep Space Nine, where it's like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. It's like, well, mm-hmm. but you are, yeah. You know, I mean, right. pretty much. Right. It's just, it just it felt like, I mean, it felt like um, filler.
0: Yeah, I I think the the only way to make that dramatically relevant is if, well, a they lose the shuttle. Mm-hmm. You know, there'd that, be one way to do it, but but the only real mechanical reason i could see for that in the show is simply to allow for some passage of time on the planet that was really it but, yeah but yes to your point it's just filler as far as the kira and dax plot line here um it, it seems like there was something else you could do to allow some time to pass on the planet yeah. otherwise things are structured pretty well but that that was such a non-dramatic drama
1: it is, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it's just like a chance to. Well, it is a space show. Maybe we should give them like a little bit more in terms of spaceship
2: or something oh, right, like that. Because right. I
1: mean, that yeah. is another thing. I mean, it does give you. That's the most action that you get in this episode. Is is you know oh, we're going to be able to save this thing? Well, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You can. <laughs> and What you get from from our point of view in the show is that little like. The the shuttle wobbles a little bit, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. when they show the exterior shot, the shuttle catches up to the shuttle and then it kind of wobbles a little bit. Oh, okay. Well, we're, we're, we're good now um speaking of writers though uh I, I thought there was some really good writing between miles and joseph it was the writing and it was the acting too um you, you just really felt like they had a bond from the beginning them talking about engineering and all this and, and just some common understanding it was it was good stuff generally between them
1: it was good stuff although i did have one problem with one of the uh one of the conversations they had yeah, yeah. you can't hit somebody on the head hard enough to knock them out and yet make it that they won't feel it. I'm pretty sure. Well, now, now I, I will grant you, sure? I haven't yeah. tried it, but here's the thing. Okay. Yeah. Even if you can hit somebody on the head hard enough to knock them out where they won't feel it, they're going to feel it when they wake up.
2: And I think you know that could be at least as bad. With both John and Ken talking about this show, it is like they have got two tickets to paradise.
0: We'll dive deeper into paradise in a moment. But first, we want to talk about our underwear. Specifically, our Mack Weldon underwear. Yeah, it, it's
1: weird, but we do. Hey, John. hmm Ask me what I did yesterday. What did you do yesterday, Ken? I went to Disneyland, John. Now, ask me what I wore. Oh, what did you wear? Well, I wore my red jeans, my black shirt, my, uh, my Mickey Mouse bands. And a pair of Mack Weldon boxer briefs, the uh, the silver boxer briefs, to be precise, um, really comfortable. I will say my less expensive underwear tends to get um, uncomfortable after a day of walking around. But the Mack Weldon boxer briefs, uh, they have what they call a stay put legs, which basically means they won't inch up on you, which is awesome. And also, you know, kind of a problem when you're like, hey, I'm getting on a roller coaster. Hey, I'm getting on a swing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Now, I will say I chose the silver, not because I'm fancy, but because the XT2 silver underwear and shirts are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor, which is awesome. Uh, Thin, cool, and I don't mind saying I, I like the way they make me look. And I I don't want to say much more than
0: that, (laughs) (laughs) but I will say I like the way
1: they make me look. Now, I know that you have also been shopping on the MacWeldon Weldon site. Um, How was that?
0: Well, look, the first word that comes to mind is easy. It's a clean, simple website that made my shopping very straightforward, which is exactly what I wanted out of the whole experience. And you ended up with what? Oh, oh gosh, okay. Uh, Two pairs of underwear, one with the silver like yours, uh, three pairs of socks, also one with the silver, a t-shirt. And I have to tell you, the detail, the quality of the materials, everything is just apparent right from the moment I opened the bag that it shipped in. Uh, Really high quality, and I love the way it felt when I started to put it on.
1: I gotta say, it's really weird to have underwear that you think about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and underwear you know with which you're actively happy anyway that's that is kind of an odd thing for me and for me mac weldon is that underwear now here's the thing if it's not for you that's okay what what will happen is if you get it and if for some reason you're not completely satisfied uh, mac weldon will let you keep that first pair and they'll refund your money
0: but they've got so much more than underwear. MacWeldon aims to make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. For
1: 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code MissionLog at checkout. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, com.
0: Hey, how about one more time? For 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code mission log at checkout. And a big thanks to Mac Weldon for sponsoring this week's show.
1: Hey, uh, what do you think uh, original series Kirk would have made of what Alexis did?
0: Oh, oh, this I, we're doing exactly what people ask us not to do. But what? this episode just screams. Oh, don't compare the captains because they're all different. No, no, no. No,
1: here's the thing. We're not comparing the captains. We're comparing this sort of. Well, I mean, we're looking at sort of this like uh, pseudo quasi utopian, whatever thing that's going on. And mm-hmm. and I can't help but wonder what Kirk would do, because I mean, look, the, the people here are producing. Which to original series Kirk means they are absolutely living, right? (laughs) I mean, he's got to look at these guys and see, oh man, this is just absolutely fantastic. Eh, Except for the part where somebody, you know, kidnapped them and lied to get them there. I guess what I'm wondering is would he have left the other inhabitants behind? And also, or, or, you know, would he have tried to like talk them into coming back to civilization? Or would he have just said, we call it civilization and you'll like it a and lot like it. and then beam yeah. them out of there. I mean, what happens if original series Kirk finds these people?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it's a given that, uh, Alexis is going to uh space jail or wherever it is that, that people like that would go. That that's just a given in both Kirk and the Cisco, uh, uh, scenario. But I honestly think what we get is a, a kind of a sweaty torn shirt, Kirk, just doing an impassioned speech. You've been living a lie. This person lied to you. You may think this is great, but there's civilization out there that's so much greater and we can help you and do this and you'll be in touch with the Federation and you'll, you'll have everything you need. Even if you want to stay here, we're going to come by and visit. I think it would be, it, it wouldn't be as simple as the ending here of just, uh, see ya. Oh, you wanted to stay. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> we, we won't, we won't bother okay. you anymore.
1: See, cause here's the thing. Kirk wouldn't need to make the speech about how much there is that civilization has to offer. They're from that, right? This is not like finding Mm -hmm. the feeders of all and saying, we got all this stuff you're going to love, you know, once you figure out how to actually, you know, move around in this world. I mean, they know how to do that.
0: Yeah, they've only been gone for 10 years.
1: I guess so. The other thing that I'm wondering is, do we not worry? You see, I don't know what we're supposed to worry about in this episode. So I guess Alexis is going to be brought to justice, quote unquote, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. If they've decided, though, that everything they've got there is what's right for them. Does this episode actually end with them coming after Cisco and O'Brien with pitchforks and torches trying to get them to free their their, you know, their mother?
0: Yeah, well, but here's the thing. There are a lot of people still there in that colony who now realize that the whole thing is based on a lie. So even if they want to stay, uh, which clearly they did, they may not be too thrilled about having Alexis back anyway, because she's the one who who lied to them about the entire premise of them being there. And I also wonder this, would they turn the duonetic field back on because – Now it would be so much easier for other spacefaring uh, groups to find them yeah if they wanted to because here's the other, so, here's the other thing yeah.
1: too well no they're easy to find apparently because miles and 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 well, no, but, but, it.
0: but it'd be easy to be tampered with now now that you've got the the field turned off people could beam in and beam out anytime they want they could leave behind a piece of technology it, it just opens them up to much more meddling than they would have had before.
1: see the planet's a bit like Hotel California though isn't it I mean people can beam <laughs> in anytime they want to. But they can never Uh leave. Here's the thing, because what's his name? Uh, Joseph said, you know, we're not sure whether or not we're going to turn the duonetic field back on. We don't know if we'll establish communications. Uh, A a quick question from the back. How are we going to do that? Because we threw away all of our radios. We threw away all Mm -hmm. of the technology with the exception of the thing that generates the duonetic field, which we didn't even know it was there. Yeah. Because I was thinking in my head, Ken, and, you know, they're like, so, yeah, after you guys left, we all went and took a nap and we decided... We really like naps. So, we're thinking maybe <laughs> coming back yeah. to uh coming back to oh what's what I'm looking for. Now would be an excellent idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh look, I I can't wait for about a year from now when uh the crew from DS9 checks back in mm-hmm. on these colonists yeah. and finds out how it's going.
2: I
1: feel certain that'll happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right after we check on how is doing on that
0: planet with all the people <laughs> right. fighting. Exactly. Uh, Look, I've said it before in in some previous episode or multiple episodes of Mission Log that I'm really intrigued by stories about utopias uh, because it it seems like they're always good on paper, uh, but rarely ever in practice since you can't possibly account for the the variables and the needs of every single person who will be a part of that society – I watched this one and really the the first story that popped into my head that is a utopian experiment, but is also very much about cult mentality, which is what this show is about in many ways probably the biggest way and that's the uh, the jim jones story in uh, guiana in the 70s at jonestown uh if people listening to this show don't know what i'm talking about uh it's very easy to find many documentaries and articles about it online
1: yeah there's, um, there's a new book about it actually as we record this well not new it's been out for about a year but it's uh just come out in paperback relatively recently called um road to jonestown which is fun okay yeah 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 Yeah, it's a
0: story that just keeps getting uh, explored and hashed over because there's so much there to try to figure out when you're somebody on the outside trying to understand what would lead 900 people to voluntarily off themselves uh, uh because of their their leader um but it, that story and this story about the, the molding and manipulation of people to focus on a specific ideology and then keeping that power structure in place through coercion and punishment and shaming and everything else that was going on that Elixis was, was using to, uh, to shore up her power. So, a lot of these similar... Stories and these story threads—they immediately use technology as sort of the the starting place uh, uh, to lay blame, and then as a further way to bond people to a common cause. So I, I thought that was it, it, very clearly in this episode. There was a lot of attention to the the reality of those details in in real world situations where uh, people have found themselves caught up in something like this. And the interesting part that you ask yourself in any of this is how much of it is free will, how much of it is uh, uh, manipulation and abuse that keeps people there, maybe under the mistaken impression that it is their free will to be there.
1: See, that was the part that bothered me about the fact that they all decided to stay, just like at the drop of a hat. First of all, we don't know that they all decided to stay. I mean, these are all people who have been under... A despot's rule for the past 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Even if she seems nice, even if she seems sweet, that's what she does. And so, I mean, we know that Cassandra seemed maybe interested in leaving. She was the one who raised the question first Hey, when the rescuers come, are we all leaving? Right? Doesn't say that she wants to necessarily, but she's open to the possibility at least. And then the second Elixir is no longer in power. Hey, (laughs) Filling that power vacuum is Joseph, who's like, no, 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 we're not going anywhere. And again, I want somebody in the back to raise their hand and go, we're not. Can we explore that just a tiny bit? Just a a little tiny bit, please.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I watched a a video not long ago uh, that was smuggled out of North Korea. A, A Western photographer had shot a bunch of stuff there, and it was an interview. They blurred out the woman's face and uh, he was asking her if she ever wanted to leave. And there was so much hesitation and, and she eventually landed on an answer that was something like, well, I, I've heard about the outside world. I've heard about this, but but this is my home. I, I really just want to stay here. And even then you watch, it's just wondering, like, uh, okay, is that – because even though your face is blurred out, there's a camera rolling and you don't know who's going to see this. Is this an answer that you are conditioned to say? Or, or is this truly where you've landed based on the, the limited information that you might have? I thought one of the other interesting aspects of this show, though, the, this episode was the exploration of, I, I think it's kind of what we're getting at here, the true self. You know, there, there's this assumption by elixis that she gave these people the gift of self realization mm-hmm. now now of course there's a huge manipulative angle of psychology here, but you know who's to say that any one of these people would not have accomplished great things in other circumstances she tells uh, I forget the character's name now who they they took out of the punishment box stephen uh, Stephen, yeah, well, you, you you could have been in jail, you know, in, in your other life. Well, <laughs> for well, stealing one
1: candle, for stealing one yeah. candle. And she's like, you'd probably be in prison by now. It's like, wow, it's yeah. one candle. You probably wouldn't one need candle. a candle if you had left him in, I don't know, civilization.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you are being punished. You are in jail. You're in this version of jail here. And uh, and it does make you want to ask, OK, so what is it conditionally here in your society that would compel somebody to steal a candle. <laughs> you know. Right. You, you may have to start asking that question. Um, but, but it is, you know, just from a Star Trek perspective, the future that Star Trek posits is one where people are always going off to do things like living in agrarian societies or, or being miners or living in Scottish theme parks, literally whatever they want to do. But none of those people so far that we've seen has been forced there or told, you need to keep doing this and keep working hard because it will lead to self-actualization.
1: Well, that hasn't happened here either because she lied to them. Cassandra says, you lied Mm. to us. You've been lying to us for 10 years. And Alexa says, yes, but perhaps a lie can lead to a more important truth. And well, but it's all predicated on the lie. That's the problem. What you're talking about is none of these. What did you say? None of these people, nobody told them that this is what would lead to self-actualization. She didn't either. She said, we're going to die. We're going to die unless we all pull together. Right. Mm. And honestly, I mean, I know this comes up over and over again, but it goes back to the whole idea. The Watchmen thing, the 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 either the movie or the comic book humanity thought that there was something against which to fight and so humanity mm-hmm. pulled together and made itself better as a result on this one uh, humanity the, the small subset of humanity that's on this planet um you know they have to fight hunger they have to fight disease they have to fight uh, the elements and so they all come together and do it but again it's predicated on a lie
0: yeah well, and here's the thing. Yeah, they, they all pull together to to fight the things that are challenges, which, sure, when you have one leader like Elixis, and what, 30 people or so in this colony, a little yeah. easier to keep uh, keep a grasp on. Multiply that exponentially. And yeah, we've got states full of people, countries full of people, a world full of people who face challenges that challenge <laughs> the entire existence of humanity. But it's much more difficult to keep those people together and focused on those goals. Uh, when uh, again, every person that you add into it, every bit of self interest that you add into it, uh, uh, changes that, that journey in one way or another. There is one, uh, uh, I mean, there are many lines in this episode to pick apart, but there, there's a particular line that, uh, that I focused on. She says, uh, Elixir says to Cisco, we've conquered 17 diseases with the most powerful tool man has is ingenuity. And she's talking about using herbs and molds and fungi on their planet to to help cure people. And I'm over here waving my hands and, and jumping up and down and shouting at the screen. OK, you see, coming up with things like vaccines and technologies and, and communicators and starships, those are also examples of ingenuity. <laughs> And uh, and it's an infuriating scene, and and designed to be that way. Uh, when when poor Meg dies, and we hear about other people who died, uh, and and somebody somebody like Elixis decides, like, well, well, let's pat ourselves on the back for our ingenuity of being able to uh, go find herbs and fungi that will help cure these particular diseases. And it's so awful to think that they had medical packs, they had tricorders. They had advanced technology that would have wiped those things out in no time and, uh, and voluntarily tossed them over their shoulder and let them get buried in the sand.
2: It is too bad that technology does not work for this community. Without it, they will never see. Paradise by the Dash, forward Light. Paradise.
1: The episode is Paradise, Sean. I don't think we really need to explore the, uh, the, the, uh, the title that much.
0: I think we explored a lot of it in the intro to this episode.
1: That's, that's, that's true. <laughs> yes. yes, we did. Um, yes. So we'll move on then and talk about the messages, morals and meanings and whether we figure uh, whether we feel this episode stands the test of time. Let's start with that one. Uh, paradise, does the episode hold up as far as you're concerned?
0: I think it holds up very well, uh, but with some caveats, uh, it's a really fascinating look at this cult mentality. And it is just, uh, at its core, a creepy story about manipulation and power. Um, the most interesting kind of deep psychological stuff is about that question around self actualization or, or happiness, quote unquote, happiness. Um, but we're pretty one-sided in this episode about who's right and who's wrong. Um, I, I'm kind of appalled that they all stayed at the colony. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people have been fed a lie. Um, so there were other angles to follow here. Um, so I, I feel like it holds up very well for what it is. But what it is is not a deep exploration of those other ideas. It mainly just focuses on the the, the cult-like structure that you have there. Um, but but overall, very entertaining, very well acted. Cisco uh, gets some great moments. I mean, certainly him turning around and heading right back to the, the punishment box. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, these are all powerful moments for pretty much all of the actors in this show. So I, I can't really fault it for much, except for maybe that one scene you mentioned uh, with Kira and Dax, where it's a sort of manufacturing a little space drama mm-hmm. for solely for the purpose of manufacturing some uh, space drama. But yeah, I I, I like this quite a lot. And um, I I think there are a lot of angles to discuss here. So uh, yeah, it holds up. How about you?
1: Um, Well, I hate Alexis. Alexis, excuse me. So that part worked out fine.
0: Yeah, that's intentional.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We see her as bad, though there almost seems to be like a, yeah, but what are you going to do at the end of it? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want to know about soccer and fashion and new ships and things like that when Miles and Ben first arrived. But yeah, by the end of it, you know, this is who they are now, even if they never should have been these people, save for the machinations of someone who was, you know, setting herself up to be an evil Kai. I mean, because she was <laughs> on her way to God. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. that one scene is, fa- is fascinating where she's like, you know. Where Cisco's like, yeah, it's weird, right? That you just happen to end up on a planet with no technology, which has always been your thing. And she's like, yeah, I've been wondering if there's something divine about that. And he's like, oh, and like God would have his hand on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. She's on her way to setting herself up as a messianic figure. Yeah. And in the end, everybody's like, yeah, well, you know, I know she turned out not to be, but yeah, it's, it's, it's who I am now. And so what am I going to do? Change? No, 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 I'm fine. But I mean, I'm honestly surprised that we got this far into the episode and you didn't mention Stockholm syndrome, mm. except they're not even in love anymore with the person who who held them hostage. They're just in love with, with being held hostage, apparently. And I'm not saying there's no value in going out in the country and, you know, plowing the fields and working the earth and doing all those things, right? I mean, my dad used to fix computers when computers were the size of a room, the most joy he ever got out of life was when he was making, like, rocking horses for kids or, or like, hand carving chess boards or things like that. There's value in in, in labor. There's value sure. in, in, in you know, doing the kinds of things that they're doing there. But you should be able to decide. and And... <laughs> Where I have a problem with this episode, I'm not as it's not as easy for me to just be like, yeah, well, I hate what happened at the end. But I mean, the message is obvious. Well, no, I'm not sure the message if there is a message. Go back to what you were talking about earlier about North Korea. So mm-hmm. let's say all of a sudden you introduce true democracy to North Korea and, and and the streets are flooded with, you know, like money and and spare time and all the things that people would need. Do they continue to leave to lead this abused life because the abused life is what they've always known? And then what would mm-hmm. we do, like to maybe help those people, or would we say, "No, it's worked for them so far," even though it hasn't really worked for them? It's just the only thing that they had that actually worked. I mean, do yeah. you see what I mean? I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I like, I hate Alexis, but in the end, I don't think this show actually takes a stand on whether or not what she did was wrong. What she really has to pay for is, is, is the bodies that are on her. And then maybe also for kidnapping or, or trying to keep uh, miles and um, miles and Ben, you know, away Mm -hmm. from what they Mm -hmm. were trying to do. As far as the people are concerned, though, they're just now going to continue to live the life that she forced them into. And, and that. It's one of those clever sort of ambiguous ends that really annoys me. Like, like, let me ask you a question. What do you make of the, at the very end, the two kids staring at the punishment box after Starfleet (laughs) has beamed up? What's that, what's that shot about?
0: Right, right. Well, that's kind of the the chilling, ambiguous end here, because either they're looking at it because in the positive sense, we're saying, hey, look, these people have the opportunity now to actually live this better life that they think that they can live and and correct the mistakes that somebody like Elixis enforced uh, Mm -hmm. by having things like, like the box, you know, or or... It's uh, this much darker interpretation that here are these kids now who will just continue because this is the life that they know. Those kids are about as old as those colonists have been on that planet, right? So this is the entire life that they know, which is that oh, you you do the thing, you work the land, and if you steal a candle, you end up in the box, and um, and, and you continue to torture and manipulate each other to uh, to 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 hold things together. You
1: don't even have to steal anything to end up in the box. Remember, all Ben wanted to do was leave. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. All Cisco wanted that. to do was yeah. leave. Right. And because he had ideas that were not conducive to what was going on with the community, uh, he had to go into the box. And I know nobody is saying it's fine that he went into the box. The problem that I have is people who have had the punishment of the box are keeping themselves in that box because of it, even afterwards. Right. I mean, there's right. almost there's almost like a Harry Mudd twist at the end. Remember in Mud's Women, how how Harry Mudd was delivering part of the part of the, the lesson. And you and I, when we watched her, like, what is, what is how does that get to happen? All of a sudden, this guy who's basically been, you know, a, a human trafficker. <laughs> <laughs> with drugs on the side is now delivering the you see timmy moment and it's kind of the same thing too when elect when elixir says to ben it's time for those of us who don't belong here to go now mm-hmm. she's including herself in the in the group that doesn't belong there but the ones who belong there are the people that she tortured into thinking that they belong
0: there i know right right
1: and they stay
0: yeah And this is why it's very difficult to have this conversation about self-actualization, because, you know, it's a completely unfair situation to put these poor people in. You know, you you take a guy like Joseph and wow, Joseph, you you did so many great things. You've accomplished so much here and you would have just been, uh, uh, you know, fixing reactor cores if you had (laughs) stayed uh, where you were. Well, he might have done he might have really found his calling doing that. In the way that O'Brien found his calling doing what he does. Right. Um, that That's why I, I particularly like the writing with them together, because O'Brien is a guy who is by all accounts. I mean, we make fun of the, the relationship they've written for him and uh, Keiko. But by all accounts, he loves what he does. He's passionate about it. And he, he is Self-actualized in some way, given what we've we've got out of the character as the viewers here. So I love that they parallel Joseph to him. But but how, again, just unconscionable and evil <laughs> for somebody like Elixis to be that presumptuous and say, oh, look, I, I gave you this gift. You you would have been doing something else terrible. Well, we'll know. We we don't know that. <laughs> you certainly don't know that. That's only something that Joseph can decide. Um so good on him if he wants to keep farming, but um I, I feel like there's still a whole other world out there for him to uh re explore and relearn in the ten years that he's been gone.
1: Yeah. And we might want somebody from, you know, Starfleet's psych core to you know land and say Anybody need a hug? Anybody want to talk? <laughs> yeah. Anybody want to, you know, maybe maybe unpack some of what's happened over the past eleven or twelve years? Because uh, yeah, it's been a lot. Yeah. Anyway, it has been a lot. Uh, but Let me really quickly uh, messages, sir. Are there? Are there? Why do we keep asking the messages question, dude? Are there messages to this episode?
0: Well, you know, Ken. It's like the old saying goes: home is where the punishment box is. Yeah. All so. right. No but look I honestly the, there's that the one line that is so chilling here uh, perhaps a lie can lead to a more important truth I'm just going to give that a hard no mm. um I I I dropped that here in the messages part because it, it is the anti message um it, it that is such a terrible thing <laughs> for somebody to justify the abuse that they've been given and the the conditions that they've been forced into—it's um, it, it, awful. It's awful.
1: Except, um, of course, it ends up being true for Joseph.
0: Yeah, and it makes it no less awful. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: <sighs> Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Hey, if you want to check out some really cool podcasts in addition to this one, uh, may I suggest podcast.roddenberry.com. That is the home of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, which is the home to Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at War, Priority One, and The Trek Files, podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support Mission Log directly, that'd be swell. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that is Trek.fm, and for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com.
0: Next week, Shadow Play.
2: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at theory.com. We've been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise. We churn butter once or twice, living in an Amish paradise, hard work and sacrifice, living in an Amish paradise. We sell quilts at discount price. Living in an Amish paradise. And transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.